We are living at a time when racial division seems to be at a fever pitch. And for that reason, I had to think carefully before tackling the subject that you are about to hear. But this isn't about the human race. Rather, this is a discussion about extraterrestrials and race. We're talking about Black ETs, or as my guest Barry Littleton refers to them, melanin-dominant extraterrestrials. According to Barry, there are hybrid ETs that encompass the spectrum of color, including African-like alien beings. And though this isn't or shouldn't be a sticking point to the larger context of the reality of ETs, it is one that certainly should be part of the broader discussion when it comes to the ET and UFO phenomenon. So who are these so-called melanin-dominant beings? Where do they come from? And how involved are they among our own race? Barry shares his perspective both as a researcher and a contactee in quite a unique way. Take a listen. It's always a pleasure to talk with you, Barry, because your genuine interest in the subject that we loosely refer to as the ET and UFO phenomenon is ever evolving. You've been quite vocal uh, about your own sojourns as an experiencer. And of course, we had a chance to talk in detail about this part of your life back in October of last year. But you've also become increasingly vocal about what you refer to as melanin-dominant extraterrestrials, or more colloquially, (laughs) we'll say black extraterrestrials. Now, I'm going to add to that by calling them BET. And I'm not talking about black entertainment television, folks. (laughs) Listen, these beings that you're exploring, um, I guess would be considered hybrid in nature, if I'm correct. Some may even be coming from our future. This is an exciting topic. And I know you've been you've been talking about it for a, a good while. So let's start by if you could give us an overview of what you've learned about BETs, black extraterrestrials. How you doing? Thank you very much for having me on. Always love Um, to have you. Thank you. Um, I'll tell you, there's a few different things to come from aspects, especially this would be, especially what we've learned, what we can find out, not just ethnically and uh, ancestrally, but also by current contactees you have that have come in contact with some of these beings. And I think that that's not been, you know, emphasized enough, probably in the mainstream at all. But um, some of these beings, for fine example, for just the local galaxy we have here, our Milky, Milky Way, mm. we've got beings right. that come from, uh, there's a constellation of Centaurus. There's supposed to be melanin-dominant people there. There's a gentleman, Michael Desmarquet, that talked about a race of beings there at Centaurus called the Bacteranians that are also uh, more androgynous. But he also talked about melanin-dominant species there. Mm-hmm. So that's one example, okay? Um Another one, another one would be Andromeda. Mm-hmm. I have a, a friend uh, that actually threw a melanin dominant contactee conference about a year ago. I remember uh, you telling me about that, right? Yeah, yeah. And she's uh, said the contactee that she first, the beings that came to her were these uh, dreadlock black women from Andromeda that are more of the Amazon type, all right? And that they are actually represented in entertainment quite a bit. And that would be uh, uh, actually not just Wonder Woman, but when you look at things like Guinan on Star Trek The Next Generation, she still had the dreads. Okay, you've got Michonne on The Walking Dead. She's got the dreads. And these these black women show up occasionally uh, showing in our entertainment. So that's another deal there. Um, Something else I think. Oh, sorry. No, no, no. You're already pouring in so much. No surprise. I want to go back to that for a minute. You're talking about individuals. Again, we are, we're speaking of 
human ET hybrids, correct? Let's 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 try to get clear on that. We're talking about corporeal beings, of course. So we're not talking necessarily about uh, interdimensional. Um, so if we are, you're saying that some of these beings are represented in our medias and our entertainment. So that would assume that there are some of us who are creating these medias that are aware of these individuals. Yes, that are aware of. Yes. Okay. Uh what Absolutely. have you learned there? Absolutely. Uh, well, you know, you've got others, like even the X-Men, you've got Storm, and you've got these other melanin-dominant females that are being seen on television right now quite a bit. So I think that that's, that's, that's representative of not just how we're seeing so much the equality of the feminine coming in right now, mm -hmm. but also, also we're just seeing that that incorporation, it's always been there. You know, even to where the dreadlock uh, thing that I'm seeing, uh, they're, they're trying to connect that to the predator and those movies how they have those dreadlocks and so they're throwing it off by putting the insectoid reptilian face on it but really they're supposed to represent these andromedan women so that's it is, 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 does that answer your question a little bit how they're incorporated in or what you just kind of asked me well i think what i'm what i'm getting at or what i'm trying to find out is how are those who are creating these characters becoming aware that they exist to begin with. I mean, obviously, there's a big conversation uh, about, you know, movies that are made, not all, but certainly some are film projects, films that are made, uh, including television programming, that is designed to, I don't know if it's acclimate, but to expose the fact that this is real. If uh, this is the case, because you're basically making a correlation between some of these characters in our media and the actuality that these melanin dominant, particularly women exist. How do you think individuals that are creating this media are learning that they actually exist? I think a lot of times just do their probably contactees themselves or in a situation like Gene Roddenberry, long before the first Star Trek, he was involved in um, a channeling sessions with the beings that were wrote, written and, and talked about in the book, uh, the only plan of choice. So he was involved in things like this. So we're dealing with these concepts long before the original Star Trek came out. Oh, sure. Well, that's so, why. So yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, but I think that you've got the same situation here. Like even ch taking that down to somebody like, um, oh, um, I believe her name is uh, Sophia Stewart that wrote uh, the Terminator and uh, also the Matrix. Mm, the the wrote, yeah, black she, female. Yeah, mm. mm -hmm. I think she might be a contactee also. And that's where a lot of that information is coming from. Right. For, for you know, those. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and people that have access. It's so hard to get access to knowledge about melanin dominant extraterrestrials or just our history in general. It's everything so fragmented. And, sure. you know, that it's just difficult to begin with. But I think a lot of times it may be becoming from source mm -hmm. or, 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 or ancestral knowledge. Right. For those that don't know who so Sophia Stewart is, and I I'll be frank, I didn't know until you mentioned The Matrix. This is a, a young woman, still young woman, African-American woman who I believe won a lawsuit a while back. Uh, she had sued the, the twins that alleged to have uh, made The Matrix, saying that she was the original uh, the original uh, writer of, of, the, of The Matrix. I, I don't know too, too much about it, but it's interesting that you bring it up in this context. Well, let's talk about this. It, it, there's, there's a lot of ground to cover here. And I mean, this is a subject that... Uh, has not, I, I think you're kind of on the forefront when it comes to the idea that there are such a thing as melanin dominant uh, uh, extraterrestrial beings, uh, but it is gaining momentum. This little, there was a little segment that you did, I don't know, about a month or so ago, recent chat that you had with 
Corey Good, along with Peter Maxwell Slattery, Slattery excuse me, while you were uh, over at James Gilliland's East SETI Ranch. And in this chat, uh, you discussed that some of these beings, you, you said this, are coming from constellations, including Centaurus, Andromeda, and Vega. Um, but the other thing, I don't know if it was Corey that mentioned this or you, but uh, making a correlation, no pun intended, with the Zulu tribe in, in South Africa, the Zulu tribes, uh, I believe he said that some of these uh, extraterrestrials, black extraterrestrials resembled the Zulus in uh, very tall, um, but they they sort of resembled the tribe. And it made me think of, are you familiar with Krita Mutwa? Yes. Okay. So. Who's hitting close to 100 years at this point? He's still he's still hanging in in uh, South Africa. Well, but there was some interesting, even though there wasn't too much said about that in this particular talk that I saw of yours. Uh, I it made, immediately made me think of the Zulu Krita Mutwa. Obviously, his interaction with a variety of species and a lot of the tumult that has gone on within the tribe, having to do with other species. What What are your thoughts on that? I mean, let's bring Credo Credo into this. Okay, okay. Well, you know, interestingly enough, I have long since heard that uh, described, and before Norman Bergen got well-known for speaking of the brothers that got off the spaceship, all right, uh, uh, that there were these brothers that, and I know I've talked to people now who've come in contact with them, that sometimes dress similar to, like, almost Moors, but they're off these very tall brothers, over seven feet tall. Mm Mm-hmm. And I've heard them coming from not just Andromedan, but also from the Triangulum Galaxy. Yes. So we can we could go back further into a cycle before the one we're familiar with now, where there were actually much more giant individuals on this planet that is being covered right now. And they were also melanin dominant. But that takes us to the Triangulum Galaxy. So we start having extra galactic contact. And something else I just I wanted to throw in there also, because I didn't I forgot to mention it. Um as, to, as far as the Pleiadians go, mm-hmm. you know, so often we see the Pleiadians, and I'll, I'll, I'll be honest, I, I said some things earlier, I, I cracked some jokes about, uh, I found it very distressing at first when all the Pleiadians were always represented as looking like Fabio, Christy Brinkley on National Lampoon, or maybe uh, Kevin Sorbo as Hercules. You know, that's what they all looked like. But in reality right now, you've got uh, Aboriginal elders. That's right. Example. That's, yeah. I'm very familiar. Well, specifically the Anangu tribe. As, as a matter of fact, I was with them last year or the, earlier this oh, wow. year. Absolutely. Well, Uluru, I've talked about it many times because I lectured there in January, is directly associated with uh, the Palladian, um, uh, with the Pleiades. And so are the, particularly the Anangu tribe of the uh, Aboriginal people. So I'm very familiar with that. Absolutely. We can look at their features, in fact. Uh-huh. let's Let's talk about... This is what's interesting to me, Barry. This is, by the way, this is more of a roundtable than a t- <laughs> typical interviewee, interviewer. So bear with us, folks. This is what happens when Barry and I get together. It's just kind of a evolving conversation. But I'm so glad that you brought that up. The appearance of, let's talk about this idea, if it exists, that hybrids are among us. I have a sense that they very well may be. And some of those hybrids uh, would include people like the Zulus, some of them, and the Aboriginals. What are some of the features that would stand out to you that might hint that there's something else going on? Physical features. One would be the height. Another thing, and I've come into contact with these beings that are humanoid, but I call them charters that tend to come about every seven years. And I think they come around for a lot of people that are like lifetime contactees. 
Mm-hmm. So about every seven years, you might meet an individual in a in a store, in a library or airport that says something phenomenal to you that kind of triggers your consciousness. Anyway, something I recognized about them, if you can sense the energy, their mm-hmm. energy is much different, more advanced. But physically, there doesn't seem anything really different with them, except for one thing I noticed is their eyes are literally a normal bit, little bigger. Okay, and then also the ear, how we have the bottom lobe of the ear is rather pronounced for us when we put our earrings mm-hmm. and stuff like that. They kind of tend to not mm-hmm. have much of that. It tends to go more just into the into the side. I mean, not completely, but it just is a little bit was noticeable to me. So I think that would be something that would maybe, and I met a melanin, melanin dominant woman that I think was connected to that. And, you know, some of these, um, these Andromedan lineages we just spoke of, are connected genetically to the Mayans. And that's what they claim, and that's what they told my friend that's in connection with them, mm-hmm. that they're connected, they were connected to the Mayan lineage. So that, um, anyway, anyway, sorry, but that, 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 going back, that's one of the things there that would kind of stand off. And if you're somebody that can really sense energy. I was just going to say, yes. Yeah, yeah, you, mm-hmm. you'll find that some of these beings, they feel like they have this energy that pushes us. It's a little more advanced than what, you know, we're used to when we just communicate with another person. No question. Even an advanced person, you know? Mm-hmm. And there's also the thing to look forward to is I look towards and check for telepathy. Do you get telepathy off these in- individuals? Mm-hmm. Are they capable of such? That seems to be a common... I'm sorry. I'll say we just have to explore our consciousness a little bit when dealing with it, you know? Right. Well, you're so tuned in, Barry, uh, to, to those things, those subtleties, but very powerful connections that uh, (laughs) absolutely and I I agree with you I do think that well first of all I think we're all hardwired to uh, to this energy field to the field and when we are in the midst if we're aware and we're in the midst of somebody like this there is something that can't quite be explained in words but but uh, something within the energy field uh, that you pick up on telepathy that's an interesting thing Um, but certainly just uh, I was. Um, go ahead. No, I say, can we can we bat something around? Yeah, I like you because you're you're really intelligent. You you follow on all this. I know. So, <laughs> um, check it out. You, this this just goes a little bit forward because you mentioned hybrids a little bit. We we talked about that. We didn't get into that too much. Um, something when dealing with melanin dominant civilizations or beings, we also has to look at those that might come from dark matter. Hmm. I've heard you mention that. And, yeah, and you know, there's something on Earth right now called radiotropic fungus that was found on the um, walls of Fukushima and of Chernobyl. They grow in, they grows in there. It's, it's that it's that black uh, fungus that is actually converting, taking the gamma radiation and converting it into the energetic uh, growth cycle. Hmm. Have you ever heard of that? I have not. No, not at all. Yeah. Explain yeah, more. Tell us more. Yeah, radiotropic fungus. Anyway, so so there was there was even theories that I think that uh, I think it was Keish and some others were saying that maybe that could be used for radiation cleanup. Now I've heard other scientists saying things that I found fascinating. They were saying that they think that there's a possibility that this fungus was actually sent here from a type three, type four civilization to help us combat the radiation on the planet. And Isn't spill that it. interesting? Now, you know, and when we start thinking about we never get help in things, we always commu- we always say that no one's helping us. But, you know, we start dealing with civilizations that are type three or type four that are actually getting their prime source of energy 
is from the wormhole itself, from space itself. That's taken us to a whole other deal because they're also going into what isn't just the micro and the nano, it's going into the Pico. We start thinking about Pico technology and what really a Dyson spear would be a civilization that can make an engineering structure around its star and the planets and its solar system. Okay, what would it be like for beings that are on the Pico in there? Mm-hmm. They would be so much going inner space like Martin Short, man. It'd be a whole other thing. <laughs> right. They'd be contacting us through inner space opposed the- to extras solar things right that certainly would denote a type way beyond type one because it's all about self-sustainability isn't it and Mm -hmm. uh, what you're talking about with this this name this again in terms of really reverse engineering the damaging effects not just mitigating the effects of fukushima but really transmuting them is what it sounds like what this fungus is doing is that what i'm hearing that it's taking what was uh considered a uh uh obviously toxic beyond toxic uh substance that that is still very much uh, alive but reversing it and transmuting it uh composting it even so that yeah. it's not only not good for us it could actually work in our in our favor am i hearing that correctly yeah yeah i mean it's it's pretty amazing when you look mm-hmm. at it. I mean, anything that i mean it, it it's kind of, as far as science fiction it's like only the hulk does that the Hulk feeds on gamma radiation. <laughs> it gets mm. bigger. But that's what this thing actually is doing. This this fungus is doing. And I think that I've, I've tried to stress a lot how much fungus is connected with the contact experience, especially with mine. Some of the ships I've been aboard had a fungus, a mushroom type of text texture on the inside, although it was harder than the fungus we're familiar with. But I know that's part of what... Uh, the compound is that they have a fungus they're mixing in, mm-hmm. like the DNA of the crew, and also certain um, metals that are refined from planets that are devoid of Van Allen belts and atmospheres. They they take a cosmic radiation bombardment that's unlike any metals here on Earth. So you get that compound, and that's you know that's kind of what's how they're grown over a wormhole. But that's going left. But anyway, um. And you're, but hold on for a second. I want to I, I want to see if I'm, I'm getting an image here. You're saying that in some of your experiences of being on craft, that you literally saw this fungus sort of attached or tethered to the walls of the inside of the structure of the craft itself. No, it was more like um, okay. We call them around where I live, uh, toadstools, like mm-hmm. mushrooms, the toadstools. Yes. But you, you ever see how they look on the top? Uh, the, yeah. The, the, the walls were quite similar to that. The only difference would be when you touch it. It was had a harder consistency than if you touched a toadstool here, you know what I mean. But it looked it was a quite similar texture to that that let me know immediately it was organic to a certain degree and alive. No yes, doubt. very much so. Very here, much so. Here's why I want to bring this up. Okay, this folks, this is going all over the place. But I always say, what did we say, Barry, before we got on air? <laughs> Dear source, let this go where it needs to go. So here we go. Here's what's occurred to me. Now, I know we're sort of digressing from the melanin dominant, and yet not. All of it's related. But I want to I bring this aspect in. We have heard so many times, Barry, individuals who have talked about their interaction with craft is almost as if the craft itself were conscious. Never mind the occupants as we understand. We think of craft, something has to be driving the craft. But others have sort of argued that it could be the craft itself that is organic, is conscious, is in communication. Now you're bringing in this idea that this, well, let's call it fungus, is another name for it, 
that is part of the architecture of the craft, which is conscious. I'm wondering if at some level, individuals that are describing their interactions with craft in this way, experiencing that, that you just described. Am I making sense? Yes, yes. It's very possible because there could be a type of symbiosis that goes on. Well, you know, sure. But what I'm saying is, the, the, as you described this, uh, this uh, material that's organic, that is a part of the craft. And then I said, well, it would seem that if it's organic, and it's some measure of conscious, consciousness to it, if you follow that line of thinking, when individuals are coming in contact with craft, could they be experiencing, could that element inside the craft be part of what they're experiencing as being in contact with it? Yes, yes. Now that, that, that okay, that, that's, that's gonna take us to another level. <laughs> that, 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 that contact that you're talking about when being within the craft, and I think there's a major scientific problem is that the outside and inside of the craft are not in the same dimension. So mm. when you're in, contact with this craft and you're inside of it physically like i was it, it creates this thing that they call temporal aphasia you talked about which that is before. this sickness that comes in it was it's very it, it almost interferes with the with the with the contact experience itself it's hard to breathe in there there's a mist all over the place it's hard to breathe but then there's this feeling of being just completely disoriented like when you're going down on a roller coaster you're losing your stomach and it doesn't stop you know kind of maybe double that and it starts making you de debilitated at a certain point mm -hmm. so that that's so that's so that that's one there but that's part in being in contact with the ship itself what i believe and even though it is alive and something else that i've always tried to deal with alexis is that um these rooms sometimes they move around you and that means like to 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 to, to a point of where you almost want to go somewhere in the craft and suddenly you're there or you see something that looks like a little window and you look close in there and all of a sudden, boom, you're in another room. Mm -hmm. And then the, the, the temporal aphasia gets even worse at that point. So I think that says really a lot what it's like to be on board a multidimensional ship. But in that way, is it also like when you're moving around in there, like you're being digested to a certain degree. You're being moving around inside of a living, living organism. Mm -hmm. See what I'm saying? I, I mean, it's just food for thought of nothing else. Oh, it most certainly is. It's just so interesting, though, because I, and I recall you talked about temporal aphasia when you were last on the show. And I don't know whether there are others that are, I would imagine others are having the experience, but maybe describing, describing it differently. It, have you run into other people who are, I call them experiencers, you call them contactees, that have described something similar, but maybe called it something else? Um, a few. A few. I mean, it seemed to be not prevalent because a lot of people you'll find will have these um, astral and dream type of bilocations to craft. Not I've seen that yeah. myself. I've been there physically, and I'm getting sick and suffering from that. But I've seen some other people there, like touching an engine, and they were partially phased out. So I know they were like in their dream body or astral. But guess what? The physical perimeters don't extend to the physical body like it does to the dream body so they weren't suffering from that aphasia like i was so i think that's why a lot of people will have these astral type of experience and contact experiences in that way so um does that answer a little bit well I mean, sure i mean it, it, it 
every little thing brings us a little further down the rabbit hole. This is bringing me back to the part of the conversation we were talking about physical versus non-physical contact. Yours seems to be very curiously physical. Well, you, you said you've had both, both physical and from the astral and the dream, the dream body. But why do you think now we're now we're taking a step further away from we're going to bring it back to the the melanin dominant ETs. You got it. (laughs) But why do you think, Barry, that yours and some people like you have had these physical excursions where you're experiencing the the temporal aphasia? Why? Well, for starters, when I would have when I was younger, I had like kind of both type of experiences. But um, there was one that happened that really crossed over to where it was definitely real and it was physical but i mean it was interfering with my normal daily life i called it the acid rain experience but anyway so at that point i started asking and trying to conjure up more physical experiences like that and all all of them to be physical and i i mean i tried everything that's when et it came out too that guy was putting together shortwave radios i tried everything i tried the telepathy and i asked for it to be more physical i mean i i had some plans i was like okay i'm gonna grab a piece of technology or something and i'll be able to prove that this <laughs> <laughs> wow i mean you know, you know but uh, that it, it didn't work quite like that but that's why mine had definitely turned even more physical and that's from going what i call childhood experiences onto adult onset experiences because the age of about 13 to 18, I didn't have any experiences. They stopped. And at 18, they started again. Mm-hmm. About 18 and a half. And they, they got real physical then. A lot of missing time. And somebody else was with me a couple of times. And they you, saw these crafts. Yes. And they're missing time. And it really changes because you know that type of delusion is not shared. Right. You yeah. Know? You talked about that in our, our last show. And by the way, folks, I'm going to make sure that we have a link to it was a two part show that we did that was chock full of great stuff in terms of your experiences. And, you know, as I listen to you, Barry, you talk about intelligence. Never, never mind me, man. You got it going on. And, and not it's not just about intelligence. You are you are so inquisitive that drives you to really peel back the layers and understand this technology as associated with the contact experience in a way that I've never heard described this way before. And I'm wondering, you know, let's let's see if we can segue back to the beings themselves, including those that we call melanin dominant or loosely black ETs. It would seem that someone with your level of of inquisition or being inquisitive, they know that. And it could be that you are being utilized. I'm not going to say used, but utilized as a conduit to under to to really translate, understand, break down what's happening, so that it can be shared with people like our audience. I have a feeling that there is a contingent of non-human intelligence that understands how intricate your your brain is and is putting these experiences in front of you, including the physical contact versus non-physical, including having the experience of temporal aphasia in order to translate it in your human terms to be able to share it with others. There's something going on there. Oh, well, thank you. I, you know, I, I, I used to wonder, because every time something, all this crazy stuff happened, especially, you know, when I was younger, and I would think, uh, why in the H-E double hockey sticks is this happening to me? You know what I mean? And why, I mean, these are things that were completely stopping my perception to where it makes it hard to, even function in your normal daily yes, life. I get that. So, but but I see now that that's part of the this whole when we talk about you know this this consciousness shift 
I think that's what it is. It's a conscious shift. Mm-hmm. And so many people are becoming aware, and that's what's going to change things here, I believe. Maybe change this from being a prison type of planet situation to something that is more like a school or, uh, you know, something a little that's, that's what's changing here. Mm-hmm. I think it's also humanity's best chance for um, going forward. And for me, okay, when this stuff happens, when you're in the presence of a non human, I mean, it really. It's like I'm brand new every time, okay? Mm. Every time this would happen. But the fact that they are sometimes telepathically answering your questions before you can formulate them in your mind is somewhat invasive, mm-hmm. okay? Um, it's also awing, and it also makes it generates. I need something to pr- prove what I was saying. I like science, and they're not making me do anything. They're not experimenting on me so I can move around on these ships, but I'm so sick, I'm not much of a threat to anybody. (laughs) (laughs) Don't stop it. (laughs) I mean, seriously, I'm suffering from that so bad. I mean, I'm not much of a threat at all, but but, uh, but, but, (laughs) but I I like technology, so I would look at it, and I'm trying to use, I try to use the science to help validate what I was experiencing. You know what I mean? Trying to to keep some type of a a baseline for what I was experiencing. Mm -hmm. I just found that science did it. I like the technology, and I can observe it. Mm-hmm. I was allowed to touch some of it, so that, you know, made it. Does, does that does that answer that a little bit? And I, and I find that so many people now, as I start communicating more, like like one of these conferences, it's the attendees. You've got the biggest, you know, experiencers slash contactees, whatever we call them. But there's so many in the in the in the audience. No question about it. Oh, no question. They can't yes. come. Last time you and I talked and did one of these, we had mentioned just at the end that. There's about, I believe, like 90% of our population has contact. <laughs> a lot of it happens on the superconscious level, the subconscious level, and they start having these dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, I just uh, I just did a thing, I think was to lead into what you want to talk about later, a thing about the, the video game craze, how I think it's kind of blocking the clairvoyance and young people and also contact contactee, experiencer type of stuff uh, with young people right now. It's a major problem. You got these games that are so virtual reality. They're shooting people. They're uh, you know blowing people's brains up. You can see this visually on these games. I was so much shocked. I come from like uh, I'm from I'm from the Art- uh, Atari era, mm-hmm. uh, the the original Nintendo. We didn't have anything like what you're seeing now. Yeah, you know, and and I think that that's bleeding over into our society right now with these mass shootings and the horrible things that are going on. I mean, they can do that. In virtual reality, they can do it live stream right well, now. Sure. So it's, that it's giving a loss for human life to a degree. Right. Anyway, I'm sorry. Let's, let's go back to the melanin. Ooh, dollars. wow. Right. You took a real big left there. Okay. Let's, do, let's try to keep this tight. <laughs> you turn. Oh, you turn now. Let's you turn back for a minute. You said a lot there. But I think if I were to distill. <laughs> Barry, what you were saying is, you know, we call it the big D word, right? Distraction. Distraction, not from um, the fact that this phenomenon is real and exists, but distraction from the fact that we are of this phenomenon. You touched on contact being a mass phenomenon. Everybody knows at this point, this is what I, I lectured on in Australia. Are we unconscious experiencers? Are we experiencers and are not aware of it? Now you're going into the possible why, what are these deterrents that are coming in that are causing us to forget or put screen memory or, you know, a whole a whole bunch of other deterrents that would make us completely oblivious to the fact that we're having these very, very deep and visceral uh, uh, 
experiences. So just to kind of bring it back, I think that's where you were going there. So, well, let, listen, let's talk. I'm going to look at the clock here. We got about another 15 minutes left uh, to go. Always goes fast with you, my friend. You know, while I was in the UK, let's let's bring this back to the, the melanin dominant ETs because I think that's, yes, that's still, that. no, yes. no, 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 not, do, do not apologize one bit. This has all been fabulous. Uh, I was over in the UK a couple of weeks ago, as you know, for the Awakening UFO Expo. And I'll tell you, I recall seeing a young girl who was of African descent. I can't say African-American because we were in the UK. I'm assuming she was from there, maybe Afro-Caribbean. And although I didn't have a chance to speak with her, Barry, I saw her, you know, there are a couple thousand people. There are a good amount of people. But I saw her on several occasions throughout the weekend. And there was something distinctly different about her, not just her appearance. We talked about energy. There was an energy field around her that I picked up on. And she was constantly smiling. I, I noticed, you know, she, let me let me see if I can describe her. She's, I would say, a, probably a teenager, certainly not 20, young, young woman. Uh, she was walking with two individuals who are who were Caucasian. I don't know if those were parents adopted. I don't know. But she seemed to be accompanied by them. But there was something about her stance. Her neck was extremely long. And she had sort of a a look on her face of almost a look of peace and contentment, hard to pinpoint. Um, I really wanted to speak with her because I felt so strongly that something was different, something different was going on with her. Have you run into people like that? I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I think that there was something extraterrestrial about this young woman and wouldn't be a surprise at a conference like this. We just talked about that. Yeah. So check this out. Yeah. So, so my understanding is we talked about kind of the black dark energy thing, uh, dark dark matter, but also my understanding is that we also have um, another type of praying mantis that comes from that dark matter. So we've got the black praying mantis, and my understanding is that they have done a hybrid project with humanoids that are these um, okay melanin dominant uh, individuals. Who have uh, normally they could be a little a little tall, but they're supposed to have an extra joint between the wrist and the elbow, and an extra joint between like the knee and the ankle. And they are they are able their necks are a little longer, and sometimes they have these triangles on their on their on their foreheads. But they're also known to do this dance. It's like a very long when they say hello. They do like some, some dance, it's like several hours or something, a dance they do in front of people. And what people try to do is mimic, which is very hard because we don't have the, that we can't do the movements. But that is my understanding. When you're talking about this individual, that's kind of what I'm picking up is maybe this might be one of these descendants of that type of a hybrid that is one of these uh, mantis hybrid beings somehow. It's, I mean, it's, it, it almost sounds that way to me. Yeah, well, I have to say, again, I so wanted... No, I was I was co-hosting this event, so I was constantly back and forth to the stage and introducing speakers, so I didn't have a chance. If I had more time, I would have hunted her... Not hunted her down, I don't want to use that. I would have looked <laughs> I would have looked for her, and I would have looked for a reason to engage her in conversation. Barry, there was something about, let's say, her entire stance. It was very erect, extraordinarily erect, and her, she held her head in a certain, I'm kind of mimicking it right now as I'm talking to you, held her head very high, not in a, in a, a, with a pretense about her, but just this was her posture. And I recall her neck being very long. And even the way she moved her head 
was different. Mm-hmm. We'll never know. If you're listening or the people that were with her are listening to this show and you know who I'm talking about, I would love to hear from you. You, you know, <sighs> you know, something else I think worth saying that I had to come to co- co- terms with when I was younger, I had an individual that would come around every so often when I was about seven, just every so often. And he'd play with me for just a little bit and he'd have to take off when other people would come around, you know? But um, he was even seen by a couple other people. But he looked to be like a, a kid wearing these ridiculous kind of kitty cats, those old like 60 glasses, the kitty cats mm-hmm. with the ball cap. And, you know, but, but, and then I later on saw this individual on a craft and he's wearing a uniform and he looks like an insect. But it's still him. And I still recognized it as being him. And I'm like, what was he doing to my optical nerves and everyone else that we didn't fully see him like what he appeared to be? I think it says a lot about mimicry and about virtual reality scenario technology, and just consciousness in that way. Mm-hmm. So what you were seeing, it's hard to know what we're seeing, but you're seeing something that, you know, you picked up something extraterrestrial there. That's the same way as when I come in contact with a real contactee, I sense something that I stole the Doctor Who term, Artron energy. Mm-hmm. But I think I think when you're around these non-human intelligences, that some of them themselves are part of these ships. They're part of them that are grown around these micro wormholes. So that's a singularity. And once you get around the technology that's dealing with that, or the beings that are, I think it irradiates the cells of our body. And you start giving off a certain energetic frequency. And I can pick it up on other contactees. When I get with them or when I shake hands with them or something, I know. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And it's, it's been very interesting. So I don't know. I think there's just something about that that uh, that that energy that comes through also. So it's two twofold. That and you picked up a non-human intelligence coming up as individual, both by body movement and consciously. No question. I think, that, I yeah. think that's huge because I'm, you know, Dr. De- Delbert Blair, if you remember who that is, uh, he had actually said, he's a contactee, and he said that, he went to George Adomsky convention and uh, he got approached by two melanin dominant individuals telepathically walked up to him and told him they were from like Alpha Centauri and were really just blowing him up with information. But they approached him at a conference. I think that's a much more realistic scenario that we want to give it credit for. Mm-hmm. Well, within our community, it's certainly been talked about readily. And there's still just such an X factor, Barry, on all of this. So many questions. I so hope that there's one day even just a little bit more clarity as to what we're dealing with. Because now you mentioned something a while back, and I've said this many times, and I believe it to be so, that there is indeed a symbiotic relationship somehow that is going on between us and that which we are talking about. Uh, Maybe there are aspects of us and, and vice versa, but there is a connection. I always say we have skin in the game here. So listen, we only have a few, we, we have skin in the game, but we only have a few minutes left. I want to, I want to bring our focus up for a few minutes to the people of color right here on this planet and their lack of participation, at least openly in these discussions. I think we're making a little headway, but it's still, we're still missing in action. We're still MIA, uh, too much so. And we know we've both obviously been approached with this uh, as a talking point with others who have engaged us in this conversation. And I know we even discussed this somewhat briefly in our last chat on air, but let's go there again for a little bit. Barry, from your perspective, are we 
starting to see the veil of sorts lift on this, meaning are people of color starting to get more involved, come out of the closet, if you will, and to discuss these topics from your perspective? I mean, we know full well that the contact phenomenon, if it's happening at all, and we certainly feel that it is, is a pervasive phenomenon, and no one is fully precluded from interfacing with this. So give me your thoughts on all of this. You know, as as I've been around just a few years now, but I'm I'm seeing it starting to change because a few of us are coming forward. You know, we've got so many things, so many different, whether it be religions or the fear of being termed as insane or whatever, we don't want to talk about this. And our culture has been specifically, specifically uh, quiet about it. But I think that's starting to change a lot now because uh, we're going forward. And if we're going to become truly a type one civilization, mm-hmm. we have to get past some of these, these prejudices we have going on right now. And I'm starting to see that change a little bit. Like example, um, like a lot of times when I'll bring this up at one of the conferences, you know, and I don't try to harp on it too much. I'm not forcing it on people, but they have to be aware that there are very few melanin dominant people there. Sure. So there's, so that that's something to be aware of, or that very little, very few of the extraterrestrials being presented are are melanin melanin dominant, black or ethnic at all, and that really detours those of us that are having experiences. I found it, I'm very much deterred from myself before I ever came forward. As a child, especially, I didn't see anybody that looked like me having that. So the fact that there's a few of us doing it now, more coming to the conferences, it's only going to grow. Mm-hmm. Because I found a lot of the attendees have very, been very kind and very accepting, but they come to say the same, I hear this a lot. Wow, I never thought of that. I don't see many black people here. I didn't really thought about that. <laughs> you know, so then, then they started talking to people. It changes it. There was more melanin dominant people. I was at the last conference and I'd seen there ever before. Mm-hmm. It was quite delightful, to be honest with you. That's so great. I hope that just keeps increasing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it is too. I do. I, I was just anxious to get your your feelings on it. And again, I think like anything, when we put a question out there, I always say it's not this or that. It's this and that. There's so many different elements to the why of what we're not seeing, what we are seeing. Uh, but let's, like you said, I, I'm gonna, I'm going to. Um, agree with you. If we are to become a type one and beyond civilization, we must get past this. And certainly with what's going on, it seems to completely divide uh, our society now. Again, we're talking about yet another pair of incidents that appear to be racially charged uh, Mm -hmm. incidents, both in Texas and Ohio. We're still far too concerned with race and other differences within our own species, species. You know, and I, I think it would also do as good to consider that beings that are outside of Homo sapiens sapiens at all, as we understand it, those are who are so far evolved that there is no color, there is no one gender at this level, they are androgynous. This is something we must eventually get our arms around, right? Yes, yes, definitely. So, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> and, well, and it starts by, you know, just getting, starting to get to really get to know one another, mm-hmm. get to know other cultures, really good exchange. Absolutely. You know, more of that, and I think maybe the internet communication is helping with that a bit. I think so. There's some good things going on. We're going to end on that. There are great things going on. I, I always say this is dichotomous times that we're living in. The best of the best and the worst of the worst are kind of shaking hands, and maybe we'll create a third reality and get rid of polarity altogether. Wouldn't that be a great thing? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dude, it's always great to have you. Uh, we're going to have to close it down. But uh, I want to encourage everyone to visit Barry Littleton's excellent and ever expanding YouTube channel, which is simply listed under his name, right? Barry Littleton. 
That's it, yeah. right? Okay. So can, <laughs> we'll uh, make sure to have a link that will directly lead you there. And as always, you know what's coming next, right, Journeyers? <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode, and particularly if you know someone that might resonate with some of what you heard today from Barry, I urge you to like and share this content with your circle of friends and family. And of course, if you enjoy Higher Journeys, I invite you to subscribe to our channel for brand new shows each and every week, along with Barry's. So, Mr. Littleton, (laughs) thank you, dude. Keep up the great work. And don't hang up because we're going to chat for a few minutes after we get on the air. But I just want to thank you, as always, for bringing your brilliance and your genuineness to such a big subject. You're appreciated. I want you to know that. Thank you. I appreciate you. And as always, we appreciate you, Journeyers. We'll talk to you next time on Higher Journeys. Take care.